as you know, we're, uh, we're in John, we're in chapter 14 today, um, beginning in verse 15. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. It's uh, as he's headed towards the cross. This is kind of the last opportunity that I'll have to sit down and lay it off. Jesus knows what's coming. The disciples don't know what's coming. And so he's trying to just pour into them as much as he can. He says, hey, we're about to go. We're about to go over the edge of the waterfall here. <laughs> and here's what I need you to know before we do this, because we're going to come out on the other side. Like we're going to make it through, but, but I need you guys to know this so that you don't lose hope and you don't lose heart in the midst of all the really difficult things that are lying just ahead. Uh, for you. And um, so I think what I'd like to do is just jump into the passage um, because if I, I risk if I talk too much at the beginning, you'll think that it's just coming out of my own uh, understanding and I want you to see how it connects into the passage here. So in John 14, uh, we're beginning in verse 15. Uh, and Jesus says this, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. And I will no longer talk much with you, for the rule of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. An amazing passage, right? Really thick with, with meaning. And um, the danger is, if, if you haven't had a, a couple weeks to study it like I have, that you can kind of glaze over, right? With uh, I will love you and you will love me and the Father will love the one that loves me, that loves you, that loved the Spirit, right? And, and sometimes we can kind of be like, man, I, I think I know what Jesus is talking about here, but I, I get a little spin around. It, it's really, in a lot of ways, it boils down to a couple simple ideas. And the first one is that love uh, equals obedience, that there's this real tangible connection between love and obedience. Um, but we have to spend a little bit of time to wrap our mind around it because, um, because obedience doesn't always equal love. And how many of us know that sometimes we love God, but we're, we're not as obedient as we want to be, right? Um, the Apostle Paul talks about that. He's like, man, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I, uh, that I, that I know I should do, I don't do. And uh, man, I'm at, I'm at war with my flesh. And so um, I don't know about you, but my mind works with, um, with, with charts and graphs. That's kind of just how I am. If you don't, I apologize up front, right? But, um, but I wanted to pull up for you guys um, uh, 
just to, to think about this quadrant, um, this idea of on the bottom, we have our love for Jesus that's going from nothing, growing into infinity, right? And then at the, on, the, on the left side, we have our obedience that starts with no obedience and goes up to ultimate obedience. And so if you imagine, and I know I have it blocked out, but there's really a continuum. And so as, as I talk through this, I want you to just think about honestly for yourself, where would you put yourself on this this morning? Where, where would you place yourself? You say, in this moment in time for me right now today, where would, where would I place myself in this? And, uh, and let me just talk a little bit. Let me add a little bit of color to the, to the area. So uh, if we think about that bottom left quadrant, um, I have the word lost on there, right? This is, this is someone who's at a place where they're, they're not obedient to Jesus and they don't love Jesus. And, uh, and so they're, they're not placing their faith in him. Uh, they're not, they wouldn't profess to be a Christian. And, uh, and loss might sound like an offensive term, right? Like Brian's probably thinking like, man, don't call these, <laughs> right? Don't run, don't scare people off that, uh, that, that are here to, to know Jesus. And here's what I want you to see about lost. Um, how many of you are familiar with, uh, in Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable. He tells a parable about a prodigal son. Is anybody familiar with that, right? And before that, he tells a couple other stories. He tells a story about a, a lost sheep and a lost coin. And he basically says, hey, you know, uh, how many of you, if you have 99 sheep, you won't leave them behind to go after the one that got lost? If a widow has 10 coins and she loses one, she'll clear the whole house and she'll sweep until she finds it. And then she'll throw a party when she finds it. Um, so to be lost indicates the potential of being found, right? The one that's lost is valued. Uh, the one that, if, if you're lost, that means that there's somebody who's searching for you. Uh, that, that God loves you and that he's, he doesn't want to leave you in a lost place, that he's, he's coming after you. He's, he's looking for you. He's searching for you. And if that's where you find yourself this morning, um, don't, don't take offense at the idea of, of being lost. See it as, um, man, if, if you're ready, God is looking for you and he wants to welcome you into relationship with him. Uh, but in a lost place, we have, no, we have no love for Jesus and we have no interest in being obedient to Jesus. Uh, if we look beside that, um, or I'm sorry, above that, high obedience, low love for Jesus. This is what we would think of with the Pharisees, right? Uh, that they have this appearance of total obedience to everything that Jesus says. They, all the rules, and they put rules on top of rules because uh, they, they want to appear like that they're righteous. But yet the, the motivator behind it is not love. Some of us in our Christian walk, there's there've been seasons in mind where there was times where I was obedient because I'm a rule keeper and that's what I was raised to do. But I recognized that my, my actions weren't motivated by love. It was motivated by uh, more by fear and, and control. Uh, the, the third parable that Jesus tells, tells about two sons, right? There's a lost son who goes away and squanders uh, his, his inheritance on loose living and, and every sin you can imagine. And finally he reaches a breaking point and he returns to the father and when he returns to the father, the father throws a party and he welcomes him with open arms and he brings him back. But there was a second brother, an older brother, who had always kept all the rules, who had never wasted any of his father's inheritance, uh, who had done everything that the father ever asked him to do. And yet when the father goes out of the party and says, your, your brother has come back, come into the party, come celebrate with us. He's like, I'm not coming in there with you. I've always kept all your rules and you never even gave me a small goat because that's what we all want, right? We don't we all want a small goat to celebrate with our friend, right? So you never even gave me a small goat to celebrate with my friends. And now this guy comes back, this lover of prostitutes, and you welcome him back in. And his heart is revealed, right? The, the older brother wasn't obeying out of love. He was obeying as a way of control. And, and for those of us that struggle with a legalistic heart, 
a lot of times what we're really trying to do is saying, God, if I keep all these rules, if I do everything that you've laid out, then you have to give me what I want. You owe me a good life. If I do all the things that you said and I keep all those rules, then, that, that, then you're trying to keep God in some ways at arm's length. You're trying to say like, hey, you stay over there, but you promised me, you know, if I do all these rules, you, you owe me something. We have an agreement. It's not, it's not a good way to live, right? Uh, the top uh, quadrant, confident and abiding in Jesus, that's where we all want to be, right? That's, that's the place that we want to get to. That's, um, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll be in that very top right corner where all of a sudden our love and, and our obedience for Jesus will, will be fully actualized. Um, when I do premarital counseling with couples, there's always, uh, we walk through and it'll give in the book examples of like, which one of these is you? And like three of them are not that great. And then one is like the, the image of Jesus. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, they're like, well, I'm tempted to say that we're that, <laughs> but in reality, I know we're, we're probably a little bit less. And so, um, man, obviously that's what we're aiming for. We want to be, we want to be fully loving Jesus and have that lead us to this great obedience. But, but my, my expectation is that probably for many of us, we're, we're kind of somewhere down into this, um, this bottom quadrant here where we're, uh, we love Jesus. We want to be obedient to him, but we struggle with it. We know that, that, that quite often we fall short of what we would want to do. Uh, we, we know what the goal is. We know what our aspiration is. And yet, and yet somehow we don't quite live up to what we would hope. And, and so we end up disappointed in ourselves. We ended up frustrated. We end up questioning, do I even love Jesus? Because if I loved him, I would, it says right here, if you love me, you'll obey me, but I not obey him. So does that mean I don't love Jesus? And we end up twisted around, which is what the enemy loves. He loves to get us to a point where we're not effective because we just, uh, we're, we're just not sure of our relationship with Jesus. And so so I want to encourage you to think about it. if you had to put a dot on the on the chart, where where do you see yourself today? And my hope is not to. It'd be very easy to preach a very like uh, truthful, condemning message this morning. It's like everybody, do better. <laughs> everybody, get out there and obey. Right? Just just do better. But that's that's not what Jesus uh, wants us to walk away with here. He wants us to really see how how love can lead us to obedience. I have um, we have uh, four kids. My wife and I have four kids three daughters uh, and a son. So our oldest is 15. We have a nine-year-old daughter. We have a six-year-old daughter. Uh, and then we have a two-year-old son who's the reason that my, the rest of my family's not here today because he's crazy. So <laughs> and we didn't want to inflict that upon you. Um, and he's awesome too. Uh, but our third daughter, Evelyn, and some of you guys know Evelyn, uh, she is, uh, you know how they, uh, this is going to come out weird if I don't say it right. <laughs> you know how everybody's into flying on the airplane with their therapy animals now, right? Because they need to like have their animal that just makes them feel calm. And uh, Evelyn is like a therapy human, right? She's just like the most peace bringing person in the world. She's the one that everybody wants to hang out with uh, because she's just this center of like peace and joy. And she's also super creative, um, uh, which means that she's always making big messes all over our house. Cause she's like cutting up pieces of paper to make like little mini magazines for her, for her Barbie dolls. And she's doing all the stuff. And so, um, so she's so relationally great to hang out with. And she's also like a huge mess. And so quite often I'll be like, Evelyn, Hey, I really need you to clean up your mess, clean up all that stuff. And, and she's like, yeah, yeah, dad, I'll do it totally. And then, um, she'll come to me. She's in first grade. She learned how to reach she'll be like, Hey, can we read this book together? And I'll be like, yeah, sit down. So we'll sit down just having this great time of relationship of intimacy, you know, just like father, daughter, just bonding time. She's reading. I'm so proud of her, everything that she's doing. And, and I think, man, this is a great moment. Uh, and then I walk around the corner and I see this huge mess that I had asked her to clean up an hour ago. 
what do you think that does to the all that relational intimacy that we just built up, right? It, it kind of, it, it, it crumbles. And now I still love her, right? She's my daughter. But there's this connection between a, a holistic that, um, that, that when we really love Jesus, that it needs to be holistic. It can't just be this sort of emotive expression that it needs to be regular. And, and as Evelyn is sitting there on the couch and I'm saying, man, I'm so proud of you, buddy. You're so awesome. And in the back of her mind somewhere, she's thinking, I wonder what, how he's going to feel when he sees that mess that I left around the corner, right? Like, so a lack of obedience is always a relational destroyer. It, it, it crumbles your confidence in a relationship. Churches kind of gravitate the same way too, that for some reason we're just wired as either or. That, that's just as humans that we tend to go one way or the other. And so some churches are all about obedience, right? And, 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 they're, and they're very rigid. And, and if you're picturing a church that's all about obedience, what do you picture walking in the door to right now? You've got a mental image, right? It's probably, there's not a lot of life it's probably very formal, it's probably very structured, it's probably very rigid, but they very highly emphasize obedience to the word. On the other end, you've got the church that emphasizes love and, and people come in and, and, and it's a party, right? It's like just, Jesus, I love you. They're weeping and worship, they've got their hands up. Uh, but a problem a lot of times is that in that church, sometimes it doesn't go beyond that hour on Sunday morning. And then they get out and they're living their life and it, and it doesn't flow. But Jesus wants something so much better than either of those things for us. He wants love that leads to obedience. He wants the kind of love that, that says, man, I know that your way is the best way. Uh, we have a, uh, we've started using uh, this, this gospel presentation at Riverside. Uh, it's called the Path of Life. And there's a couple things I really like about it. Um, basically what it says is that Jesus, um, we're designed to walk along this, this path of life, this path that God has laid out for us. It's the way to find hope and assurance and purpose and peace. And God has laid it out for us. And it's built upon the laws and the rules and the commands of scripture, because God wants us to know how to walk in all those things. But the problem is for all of us, we take detours off that road. Uh, we say, God, I know you want me to do it this way, but this way seems a little bit quicker. This way seems like it'll be more scenic and enjoyable. This, this looks like we never just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to deny you, God. I'm going to disobey you. I'm just going to go in the opposite. We never think that in our heart. What we think is, man, I know God's way, but if he, if he understood what I was in right now, he'd see that this way is just a little bit quicker. It's a little bit better. It's, the the scenery is going to be better. But every one of those detours is, is what we call sin. Sometimes it looks really good and honorable. Sometimes it looks bad, but it's always a departure from the path that God has laid out for us. And so when we come around that sin, ultimately we're going to end up at a place that's like a roadblock. It's going to come to a place where we realize, man, I made a wrong turn. God's path would have been so much better and I shouldn't have come to that. And in that moment, when you come to that, it's like the, the, the prodigal son in the pig pen, right? He came to a moment where he's like, man, all these choices that seem like so great, they were not a good idea. And in that moment, you have a choice because in that moment, you become aware that that, that roadblock can turn into a picture of the cross, right? That, that that's when you become aware of that, that Jesus is the only way that you can get back to the path. And you have a choice. You can, you can continue on your own broken way or you can submit and say, Jesus, I can't find my way back to the path. I can't earn my way back to the path. I can't do anything to get back on the path. The only thing I can do is, is trust in you to bring me back to the path. And if you do that, the Bible promises that he will do that. And it'll put you back on that path towards hope and assurance and peace and purpose. 
And that's the picture of, of, of where we want to go. But, but when we're disobedient, any sort of disobedience is coming off the path. And so when you really believe that, when you, when you get that down in your heart, that, man, if I get off the path, I'm not on the path to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to find hope and peace and purpose and, and assurance. I'm not going to have confidence. When we see God's word as a path that way, it drives our obedience because why would we want to not obey that, right? Why would we want to go any other way? Because every other way is going to lead us to hurt and pain. So why do we disobey? Sometimes it's because we think we know better. Sometimes it's just our sin nature welling up us. Sometimes it's because we don't yet know God's word. It's, it's very understandable that somebody who just became a believer would be very high in love for Jesus, but at that point still very low in obedience because they don't yet know what they're supposed to do as a Christian. It's why intimacy, a, a huge part of intimacy is, is centering it on God's word and applying it into our lives. I love the intimacy that I see developing in this church. I love that you guys love, it's clear that you guys love to spend time together. You like to be with one another. You like to do life together. And there's so much that's, that's a value in that. Um, but you got to keep pushing to make sure that at the center of it all is this deep study of God's word. Because you can't help each other walk on the path if you don't know where the path is going. And, and you can't rely on, on somebody else's knowledge of the path. Ultimately, you need to know the path because there's going to be moments where you're walking on your own, right? You're not always going to have your friend beside you and, um, and, and you need Jesus, his word, to be a lamp to your feet in those moments. And so, so I want to encourage you towards um, not rigid study the Bible because, um, because it's sort of this legalistic requirement. Do it because it's the, it's the most loving thing you can do for community. The more that you know God's word, the more that you can help your brothers and sisters who you really love and care about. So there's this, this, this integral connection between growing and understanding Jesus' word and applying it to our lives. If we jump for a minute to, to Matthew 28, uh, which is uh, the Great Commission, right? Jesus has now risen from the grave. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he says to his disciples, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When he says observe, it doesn't just mean look at, right? It's, it's to, to know and to put into practice in your life. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to know his word and to put it into practice. Uh, and I know that's the culture that, that God is developing here at this church. And I just want to encourage you, that is the, that's the path. That's how you experience the joy of, of doing exactly what God has called you to do in this community. And the more that you center it on that, man, the more God is going to be able to do through Streamsong Church. It's one of the reasons we believe in church planning is because it's hard for a church that's been around for 30, 40, 50, 100, 150 years to, uh, to come back to the core basics, right? To, to look at their community and say, what does this community right now need right now? Let's do it. You guys are in a perfect spot to do that, right? <laughs> a year and a half in, you've probably already started to develop a few, you know, things that are, that, that are part of your, you know, that, that almost become like tradition. And I just want to encourage you that the value of a church plan is uh, that all that stuff is stripped away. So the more that you can build the foundation on the right things now, man, the more that God is able to build more and more on top of it. Whether that's more people, whether that's deeper relational intimacy, whether that's continued um, support of missionaries and church planters and all the things that God has put into, in, into your hearts, it comes out of these fundamentals. So a couple things I want to encourage you with. First is that I, I want to encourage you to check the simple things first. 
if you're here and you're saying, man, I just don't feel close. I feel like I used to be closer to God. I feel like my intimacy with God is waning. There's a temptation to say, man, I just need to, I need to spend more time in prayer. I, I need, and you do, <laughs> right? Say, I need to, I need to get a Bible reading plan and I need to start reading through more scripture. I need to go to another workshop. I need to read that new Christian bestseller about how to live your best life. Now, what, whatever, right? There's this temptation to think I need to do something more, but I would encourage you this morning just to, just to think like, hey, is there, is there some sort of area of sin that God's been pushing on in my life, right? Is there some area of disobedience that, um, that you just keep kind of like, nah, I'm not ready yet, God. I don't want to deal with it. Because you can do all that other stuff, but if you don't deal with, with an area of rebellion, an area of disobedience, it's like building on a faulty foundation. Repentance needs to be early and it needs to be often. We need to continually come to God and say, God, show me what's broken in my heart so I can repent it and so you can you can clean me up. Um, there's no sin that I've held on into in my life that I didn't ultimately regret the amount of time that I wasted on it. Right? And so, so most of us come to church uh, with this expectation of, man, like, I'm excited for this, but I hope he doesn't preach about this today because I don't want to hear, right? I don't want him to push on this. I'm worried that, man, I hope God doesn't push me. I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. And, and I want to encourage you, man, today is the day. Like, let it go. If there's something that even now that, that he's pushing on in your spirit, let go of the pride, let go of the stubbornness. Just turn it over to him and let him take it from you. He wants to take it from you and it's the best thing. I promise you it's the best thing. You know, I, um, I was baptized as a baby and, um, as I started coming to Riverside Church, um, I was I was kind of challenged on this idea of believer's baptism. And um, I'd love to hear you tell you that I, I heard it, I saw it in scripture and I immediately responded in obedience. But um, but I, I pushed it off. I said, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, I'm serving him, I'm doing a bunch of different things. And, you know, I think I'm grandfathered in with my, my infant baptism, I think I'm good. Um, but God kept pushing it on my heart and, and I'm talking over the course of about a year and a half, two years of showing me in scripture. And ultimately I, I just got serious about it. And I read through and Acts all the different spots in baptism. And, um, and even going back to the gospels, I saw where Jesus went and was baptized at age 30, right? He had been dedicated when he was a child at the temple, but at age 30, he went down to where John the Baptist was baptizing. And John's like, I shouldn't be baptizing you, man. We got this reversed. And Jesus is like, no, this is necessary. And, and I was just disarmed, right? I was like, Lord, I got no excuses left. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I, I, I just know that I need to be obedient. And so, um, and, and it wasn't like I went into the waters and I came out and a dove descended from heaven in the skies. It was none of that, right? It was just a simple act of obedience. I think there was about 12 people there. We did it at Bucksmont Baptist Church at like three in the afternoon on a Sunday. I mean, it was not like, it was not sort of this fireworks explosion, but... I would not be standing here today in ministry if I had not been obedient to that. And there's many ways in which I wish I had responded sooner. And so, um, Brian would love to talk to you guys about baptism if you guys want to talk about baptism, right? That, uh, that, that's a significant thing. And I just use that as an example of, we all have these things. And you just gotta ask yourself, how much time am I willing to give to this sin? It's already got a foothold in my life. How much more time am I, am I willing to give to it? I also want to encourage you as well that, you know, there's some things, uh, if it's an addiction, if, if it's a pattern, if it's a habit that's been there for a long time, 
it might not just be easy to just walk away from it today. I get that. I'm not trying to put a heavy burden on you. But what today might be is, is the determination to say like, hey, Jesus, I have to set my face towards you. I have to start walking towards you. And so whether that means getting an accountability partner, whether that means pursuing help, reaching out to a Christian counselor, um, you know, going away to somewhere to a rehab, like whatever. I'm not saying that, that there might not be steps. There might be steps that you have to take, but, but the first step is, is turning and, and telling Jesus, I'm ready. I need you. I need you to help me. And, and that's the other thing that I want you to see here today. So love equals a, a obedience, but love also equals benefit. Jesus says, we have a helper. You're not meant to do this on your own. You're not meant to do this in your own strength. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, which is, which is amazing. And there's, the Trinity is all over this passage, right? Uh, he says, I, Jesus, will ask the Father God, and he will give a helper, the Holy Spirit. There's this, uh, this picture of, of Jesus as our, uh, uh, on our behalf saying, Father, send them the Spirit. They need the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives within us to help us live the life that he wants us to live, to help us to understand what obedience looks like and then to follow through with it. I want to share with you, it's, it's, it's a, there's a little bit to this passage, but I think it's so helpful. I'm thinking about this in Galatians 5, in verse 16. Here's what, what Paul says in this letter. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. But uh, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Why don't you do the things that you want to do? Because your, your spirit and the, and the flesh are, are opposed to one another. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, orgies and, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. What he says is that if you're led by the Holy Spirit, the desire to do all those things will be replaced with a, with a sense of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You've been given this incredible gift, and, and but the Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. Um, and so my, my encouragement to you is, is that God is, is giving you this powerful tool to use in your life, and, and you need to press into that. And there's all these beautiful promises, right? He says, because Jesus lives, we live. Because of Jesus, we're loved by the Father. Jesus promises that he will manifest himself to us. He will show us who he is. And ultimately, that we will have joy. In short, we, we miss out on closeness with Jesus, on intimacy with Jesus and joy because we follow his commands too loosely. We adopt cheap grace and say, hey, you know, he'll forgive me. That's why he died on the cross. It's cool. I can, I can just rack up some more debt. It's, it, right? Like, that's not the key to joy. That's the key to, to pain. We miss out on a wealth of joy, comfort, hope, and peace that are available when we choose disobedience. So what does this look like for you in a tangible way today? Maybe God's brought something to your heart that you're like, man, I just, I know I need to walk away from this. 
I need to make a significant change today. And, and Holy Spirit, I need you to strengthen me and empower me to do that. Maybe that's, maybe that's your application. Maybe, maybe it feels too big to tackle in one bite like that. And if that's where you're at, I just want to share with you a, a quote from uh, this book. It's uh, What is the Gospel? It's a, it's a book that we use a lot in discipleship at Riverside, and, um, and you guys might use it here as well. But the section on repentance is so helpful and so powerful that I just wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, now, he says that, uh, that none of, uh, of what uh, he's been talking about means that a Christian will never sin. Repenting of sin doesn't necessarily mean that you stop sinning. Certainly not altogether, and often not in particular areas either. Christians are still fallen sinners even after God gives us new spiritual life and we will continue to struggle with sin until we're glorified with Jesus. That sounds depressing, right? <laughs> but, there's always a but. But's always the turning, the turning phrase, right? But, even if repentance doesn't mean an immediate end to our sinning, it does mean that we will no longer live at peace with our sin. We will declare mortal war against it and dedicate ourselves to resisting it by God's power on every front in our lives. Many Christians struggle hard with the idea of repentance because they somehow expect that if they genuinely repent, sin will go away and temptation will stop. When that doesn't happen, they fall into despair, questioning whether their faith in Jesus is real. It's true that when God regenerates us, he gives us power to fight against and overcome sin. But because we will continue to struggle with sin until we are glorified, we have to remember that genuine repentance is more fundamentally a matter of the heart's attitude towards sin than it is a mere change of behavior. Do we hate sin and war against it? Or do we cherish it and defend it? One writer put this truth beautifully. The difference between an unconverted and a converted man is not that the one has sins and the other has none, but that the one takes part with his cherished sins against the dreaded God and the other takes part with a reconciled God against his hated sins. There's always going to be a battle against sin or a battle involving sin. And the question is, what side of that battle are you on? <laughs> are you on the side trying to defend and rationalize and justify your sin to God? Are you on this side with God saying, God, this sin breaks my heart just as much as it breaks yours. And I want to be free of it. And I need you. I know I can't break free of it on my own, but I need you um, to work in and through me to, to help me to fight against it. And I declare war on my sin. And by your power, I believe I'll overcome it because you've given me that strength. That's what true repentance looks like. Now, it may take a while, but I promise you, if you start walking down that path, your life is going to be transformed. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. I love how Jesus ends this passage. He basically says, hey, do you want to know what obedience looks like? Just watch me. Watch me over the next couple days. He says, the rule of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. Obedience, right? This is verse 31. So that the world may know that I love the Father. How will the world know that he loves the Father? Because he's obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus shows us how to be obedient. And then through his death and resurrection, he gives us the power to do it. You're not fighting this battle on your own. I want you to go war against sin, but know that you're never doing it by yourself. That Jesus has already won the victory. He's given you the help of the Holy Spirit. 
it's through your love for him that, that ultimately he will lead you to greater obedience, greater joy, greater peace, greater purpose.